0: Good morning. Welcome to Fellowship. It's good to be gathered together this morning. The sun is peeking out. That's exciting after the storms this weekend. Good to be gathered with all of you here in person. Um, And also, if you're joining us online, we are so grateful that this technology allows us to all be together, united by the Spirit in one time and one place. This morning, our call to worship comes from the book of Psalms, Chapter 145, I would invite you to stand and hear these words as we contemplate who God has been to us from generation to generation and how God's faithfulness extends to the next generations. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. Let's joyfully sing together and join in joining our voices.
1: good morning, church. The Lord be with you. I invite you to join with me in sharing our faith together using some words in a litany of confession, which will be on the screen behind me. It begins with some words from the book that we love, where it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, because love comes from God, and whoever loves is a child of God and knows God. Jesus Christ, life of the world and of all creation, forgive our separation and grant us peace and unity. The peace that Christ gives us is to guide us in the decisions we make, for it is to this peace that God has called us together into one body. Jesus Christ, life of the world and of all creation, forgive our separation and And grant us peace and unity. With his own body, he broke down the walls of separation. By his death on the cross, Christ destroyed our divisions. Jesus Christ, life of the world and of all creation, forgive our separation and grant us peace and unity. In response to this that we've shared together, I invite you to hear these words of assurance Again, from the book that we love, from the book of Galatians, where it says that all who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been clothed with Christ. There is, therefore, no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. This sweeping testimony of the scriptures and coming to us in the wake of Jesus Christ is a kind of unity that is both a gift to us and a responsibility. It is freely given, and we are called to steward it. And so as we continue to ponder that and to worship the God who calls us to it, I invite you to join your voices in this song, or even simply to take it in through listening, a song called The Gathering.
0: It's pretty incredible that we are the body of Christ, that we have been selected to be instruments of peace and light in a dark world. In Jesus' final words to his disciples before he went to the cross, he made it really clear that we are to love one another as he first loved us, and that it would be by that that everyone would know that we are followers of Jesus. Even as we long for and wait for the day, that final day, when all will be made right, when divisions and fighting and striving will end, and all hearts will be won in worshiping Jesus as the only king. Even as we wait for that perfect day, we ask God's help now to live out of our identity as dearly loved children of God, to live into our high calling of being a community, that loves well in the same way that Jesus does. To show who God is like, it really matters who we are with one another. And so our life together as a community is a vital part of our worship of God. And it's in that spirit that I invite the president of our congregation, Jeff Jansma, to come with an important update about this season of transition in our life as a community.
2: Thank you, Jeff. Good morning, morning. Um, yes yeah, so I thought I'd share some some notes uh, for where we are as we know we're officially two weeks in uh, to our transition but we learned of this and we're aware of this a lot longer than that um, and started uh, some listening sessions with, with you um, uh, probably two months ago now with Linda Milanowski westdorp leading that and I want to, she's not here she was at the first service but I want to thank her so much for that. Um, you know, input from the congregation, from our survey, from our consistory, from the, from the staff, from the team, and combined all of that information. Um, and we do have that, if anybody wants to see that information, um, we, have, we have copies of a summary of that. I just wanna thank the congregation for that and all the feedback for that. Um, and it is it has been very helpful. There was a lot of, um, wow, I didn't think of that kind of moments as we went through it all. Um, but to give you an example, of what we're working with here, um, the, um, some of the input said we need to move really fast, um, and then some of the input said we need to move really slow. So you can't, you can't do both. You know, Scott's over there thinking, you know, if it moves too slow, I'm going to have to listen to Jansma an awful lot up here. <laughs> um, but so we've got to find that, you know, what makes sense. Because in the end, it's not our timeline. It's, it's the Lord's timeline, um, and we need to listen to that. And work together for that. Um, So here's here's the things we're doing. One thing is we're not stopping and we're not taking a summer break, but we're not, you know, trying to say, okay, by this date, we've got to have this, um, have it all done. Um, We're forming a search task force. This isn't about, okay, we're going to get a team in place now and go. We're getting a small group of of fellowship members that are going to Um, I'll read this here to get it right. The the review, the characteristics of our team members, which we've we've talked about at our last consistory meeting and then identify the people from the congregation for the search team. That's what this task force will do. These names will be brought back to the ministry leadership team um, and the consistory for approval. Um, An important step, um, because this is an important spot to fill. Um, At the same time, um, we're gonna conduct a culture workshop uh, a little bit more about that. It's important for us to fill this open position with someone who will help us move forward um, we, uh, where we feel God is calling us as a church. Um, Lynn Pollan who's another member, uh, does this culture understanding and culture work um, for us. He has done this with churches. He has done this with other, um, other companies, and he has offered that for us. Um, and it's, um, he'll gather you know, some members of the congregation and leadership teams to look at our past present and preferred culture, while um, also paying attention to the culture that is around us. Um, as uh, Les and I, um, or Len and I talked yesterday um, morning, he summed it as, um, it's, it's how we do God's work in helping us understand how we do God's work. Um, next next step is uh, to support our staff, the whole staff, um, and pay attention to their capacity, um, health, and and well-being. And there'll be, there'll be clues for when they're struggling. So if you notice... Um, Ross or Nate's jokes are worse than normal. It means they need some help. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is, but you know, you think about it. There's, we're gonna, you know, we have a summer and it's usually quieter than, uh, but it's not quieter when these guys got an awful lot to think about for the fall, and this whole team is trying to take on an awful lot of stuff. You know, whether it's a willingness to be a part of a search team if you're asked whether it's getting more involved this fall in our Wednesday ministries or something else, just be thinking about this, because if you're not, it's going to fall on this team's shoulders. Um, and we have a strong team, or we have a strong uh, fellowship family here that's used to getting involved. Um, just let's, let's look out for those guys. Um, and really, the last thing is, um, is the power of prayer. Uh, it's prayer, and I'll, um, I, how important that is. It's not uh, least. It's just the last bullet on the board. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you, Jeff. Mr. President, and I know that you don't even like that title as much. You function more as the lead servant in the church, and we're grateful because you do it with love and integrity. We've been reminded through some of the things that he's been sharing about, uh, about how this congregation is full of gifted, wise, and loving people, and we give thanks. That's including you. So we're on this journey together, and we give thanks to God for that. Hey, my name is Ross Dealman, one of the pastors here at Fellowship. And together, our mission, as you know, is to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. One of the ways we've been living into that this past weekend is by our middle schoolers who have been, believe it or not, on retreat, an outdoor retreat this past weekend. And they endured some rain, multiple monsoon-like rainstorms. And then even a couple tornado warnings, this is a sampling of the group. There's 20 plus of them out there, kids and leaders, and they've had some real weather. Uh, A great opportunity to talk about uh, uh, living through the storms of life and the way that God cares for us. Even as of last night or this morning at 12.51 a.m., I got a text message from Hannah who's up there with them. and uh, and telling the story of how they had to run across a flooded field in the rain because the sirens were going for a tornado, not in the middle of the night, but during the day, to get to their shelter place. They are okay and in good shape, but it's been an exciting outdoor weekend for them. They are on their way home right now. So thanks be to God for the leaders who are there, and we do uh, hope for them to have great formative experiences, building relationships and memories with one another, and learning more about the love of God for us. Hey, as you know, our, as you see in your bulletin in front of you, we have this series called Reconnecting and Rising Strong. You are invited as a congregation to participate in it by submitting a word of the week, simply by joining in the life of our congregation, these worship services, hearing the word preached today from Pastor Nate, and to listen for a word and submit that word, and we'll have a new one each week. It gets put on our art wall just outside of the sanctuary. Uh, and it's a way of kind of hearing the stories together. And and uh, so the winner of this past week, the word was forgiveness. There's a little prize. You get a gift card in the mail if your word is selected. So that's a little... There was also a fun one that came in. It was a play on the book that we've handed out in the bookmark, which mentions how some words you might not expect to read in the book and might surprise you. Someone submitted a PG-13 word and then crossed it out with a black marker because that's what we've joked about with this particular book. It was a hoot. It did not win. And we can't put it on the wall, even though it's a rich meaning. Okay. Uh, Hey, next week we'll gather again for worship, as we always do on Sunday morning. But next week, Sunday, is July 4, and we will be outdoors because the world can't have any rain left by next week. Okay, So we'll be out on that parking lot to gather one service at 9.30 in the morning. We look forward to gathering with you. Bring a chair or a blanket or whatever you want to sit on, and, uh, and we'll gather together, hopefully in comfortable sunshine for worship. We'll, we'll let you know if there needs to be an adjustment in that plan for, plan for weather. Last but not least, we want to celebrate together something that's happened over the past two weeks. As a fellowship community, we have a mission partner called Meet Up and Eat Up, and it is a way of partnering people from this congregation with a migrant community at an apartment complex nearby. Uh, and a way to share fun and fellowship and, and food and things together. And so we have a little highlight video to celebrate and thank God for that opportunity. It happens twice in the summer. So this is one. There will be another in August. Take a look.
0: I invite you to stand and as we turn our hearts towards the word of God and prepare to hear it spoken and preached, um, this song is really our prayer that the Holy Spirit would guide us and lead us in that.
3: Well the Lord be with you, Fellowship Church. In case you missed us last week, we are uh, beginning a new summer worship series, as uh, Pastor Ross alluded to just a moment ago, Reconnecting and Rising Strong, uh, for a couple reasons, partly because we recognize that this summer is an opportunity for us as a church uh, to reconnect with one another quite literally in this space. Uh, For many of us, we haven't been in here as much in the last year and a half, and this is a time for us to reconnect with one another. And also, believing that God is up to something, uh, that God is arising us strong, not just for our own benefit, but for the benefit of our greater community, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. But reconnecting and rising strong is also at the very heart of the gospel. Jesus came into this world. God sent Jesus into this world to reconnect us with uh, Him and also with one another by His literal rising strong, uh, rising from the dead. We are in a series called Reconnecting and Rising Strong because it's a longing that we have for one another and for our life with God. To aid us in that, though, we are using this book, uh, as Pastor Ross also pointed to, by Brene Brown, called Rising Strong. And in week, or chapter 2, as we are in week 2 of our series, She tells a story uh, in this book that was really quite formative, and it serves as a primary metaphor uh, for the rest of her book, so I thought I'd share it with you this morning. Brene and her husband, Steve, uh, went uh, to Lake Travis, a special lake in Texas, a place that was a vacation spot for their family, uh, a place that Brene had lots of big feelings about, and they went there for a two-week vacation. Recognizing that a two-week vacation probably requires a little bit more of the keeping of habits and a little less lawlessness, uh, they decided to eat a little bit more healthy and, and try to work out in the mornings. So daily, as college swimmers, they went down to Lake Travis for a swim in the morning. On one particular morning... The weather was beautiful, and they made it down there, and Brene, who is usually a little bit less likely to share uh, maybe her affection and uh, her appreciation for her husband, was just feeling kind of overwhelmed with the beauty of it all. And so, as they began swimming, they uh, were about uh, halfway across the, the there and back, so about a quarter of the way in, and they're treading water, taking a break, and she says, "'Steve, you know, this is, it's so beautiful.'" It's great to be out with you. Be out here with you, uh, with one of those little kind of romantic winks and like, I'm really glad to be here with you. And Steve, who's usually the warm and gushy one, says, "It's fine," and starts swimming away. She's like, <laughs> "What? What is going on?" this is not like him so she puts her head down and they swim to the halfway point and once again she musters up the courage at the halfway point she's like maybe he just didn't hear me maybe there was a little miscommunication i'll try it again i'll i'll, I'll take the courageous step and and tell him tell uh, him how how much i appreciate this moment and how much i love him so once again he said, she says Steve, it is really good to be with you. It is such a beautiful morning, and I love being on vacation and spending all this extra time with you. It's so good to be together, isn't it? Yeah, and he goes off swimming again. flabbergasted, and maybe a little bit more than just flabbergasted, straight up upset and angry, uh, they swim back without a break this time, just pounding through the water, going after it hardcore. And uh, then um, they're both in the midst of that swim telling themselves these stories Brene is uh, frustrated with herself for even opening up to Steve and, and actually starting to wonder if Steve really likes her anymore. I mean, does he even find me attractive? Meanwhile, uh, Steve is swimming through the water rehearsing a different story, a story of a dream uh, that we talked about last week, dreams, uh, a dream that he had had the, literally the night before where in that very water that they were swimming in, he was with his kids and unable to save them from a, a tragic event. And so he couldn't help but think about that as they were swimming and was unable to be kind of open to what his wife was saying that morning because this story, these stories were playing in their heads. Finally, they get back to the dock and, you know, Steve is kind of totally uh, unaware of what he's done to his wife and just starts to dry off and get the towel and is about ready to head back to the lake, kind of uh, consumed by this story. And Bernays like, get in the pool. We need to talk about this. Uh, and eventually they talk about what's going on, some of their frustrations. And apparently it ends with a little towel whip in the fanny. They were mutually understood, vulnerability was shared, and love grew. And it was a happy ending, you might say. And so she told this story multiple times in multiple places about how uh, when we're able to name our stories, name the stories and the things that are going on inside of us, that vulnerability matters, and it works, and love can grow through this. But in a conversation she was having with Pixar Studios, she realized that the reason that beautiful resolution happened was because they had to go through the messy middle of the swim back and the conversation in the lake. Pixar helped her to understand that really this story is not two acts of uh, conflict and resolution, but it's three acts. Act one, a disruption occurs in the current reality. That was uh, her kind of asking or inviting him to, or appreciating him in a, a new way, and then that being coldly received. And then act two, which she phrases the messy middle, when they are swimming and telling themselves all these stories and then getting after it in the lake. And then act three being resolution. I think that that storyboard, if you will, of three acts is repeated in our own lives all the time. We have a current reality, something that we have come to be a little bit comfortable with, and then all of a sudden a disruption occurs, act one. And then we have to plod through the messy middle that sometimes never ends before we get to Act 3, the resolution. This is certainly a a storyboard that's present even in the story that we're going to read from Scripture today. Uh, This is a little tricky to figure out because it's from Acts chapter 15, and we're going to talk about the three acts in Acts chapter 15, which is sometimes called the Jerusalem Council. Before we get to the first act, I want to get your bearings straight where we are in the big story because it's kind of important. Jesus, uh, this is in the book of Acts, so it's after the gospel. Jesus has lived, has died on the cross and has risen again, conquering death and all the powers of evil in this world. Uh, And Pentecost has happened and the Spirit has been poured out on the disciples and they're telling the good news that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus is alive uh, and that Jesus is someone that is worth following. And people are hearing the message the good news, sins are forgiven, the kingdom of God is at hand, and they're turning to Jesus for the very first time. The church is growing thanks to Paul and the other apostles sharing this good news. This is where we'll pick up the story, Act 1 of our three-act play from Acts 15, starting with the first verse. Certain people came down from Judea, you could call this the Jewish part of the world, to Antioch, Gentile country, and were teaching the new believers in Jesus, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. Acts 15, verses 1 through 2. The church was growing, things were going well, and then a disruption occurs. Act 1. What do we do with the Gentiles who are turning to faith in Jesus? We have to remember that until recently almost all of the new Christians were were converts from Judaism. They were the ones that were waiting for the Messiah to come, and they believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the fulfillment of the prophets that had been foretold. So they were uh, obedient to the law, to the law of Moses, to, to the Torah. They were followers of the Old Testament. They knew what they were supposed to do. And one of the most significant things for them to do, especially for the men, or only for the men ultimately, was circumcision. Circumcision was the literal, physical sign that they belonged to God, that they belonged to the community. Some leaders were saying that to the Gentiles that were converting to Christianity, having never done this practice, had to fulfill fulfill the law and do this in order to belong, to be a part of the community. They, too, had to be circumcised. And you can kind of sympathize with them. That's the way it had always been. They didn't have the New Testament. They only had the Old Testament as the Word of God, and so they had to follow the Word of God, they would have suspected. But other leaders, like Paul and Barnabas, were saying Jesus came to fulfill the law. They don't have to do anything. Grace is a free gift of God. There's nothing we can do to earn salvation. This is Act 1. A disruption occurs in life, that causes conflict. Something external is happening that causes an internal response. What's the act one disruption that's happening in your life right now? Is it a significant long-term one, like the diagnosis of cancer and the fear of what could happen alive in you right now? Is it a sharp disagreement with your spouse And the unsettling wondering that lingers inside of you if everything is going to be okay? Is it a significant change in your vocational life and a wondering if the next step will be as good as the previous step? Is it the grief over the loss of someone that you loved or the change in employment status of a beloved colleague? Maybe it's not something so big that's happening in your life right now. Maybe it's one of those everyday disruptions that you, we all have on a kind of a short-term basis, like the regret over a word you might have said to a colleague and the need to kind of circle back and ask for forgiveness, or the voicemail from a friend that says, hey, uh, we need to talk, accompanied by the unsettled curiosity inside your own spirit about what we need to talk about is. Or maybe it's the boss who asks you to share in front of the whole team a proposal and your fear of public speaking is sparked and your hands begin to sweat. Or maybe it's the realization that you're going to be late for a meeting yet again. And guilt and shame about always being late are alive in you. Whatever it is, my hunch is that we've all had these act one disruptions that have occurred in our very lives. Occasions that uh, cause a strong internal response. And I think right now we have two temptations. The first temptation is to jump to Act 3, to jump to the resolution, to, to hope for the best and ignore the rest. Or... The temptation is to stay in act one and numb ourselves to the pain that we're experiencing through drinking or shopping or watching or maybe even working excessively. But today I want to invite us to a different path, the path of the messy middle, act two, to live, how how do we live faithfully going through the messy middles of our lives? What would it look like as a follower of Jesus to embrace Act 2 and the messy middle. Let's re-enter our story from Acts chapter 15, and maybe that can give us some clues. We're going to continue in Acts chapter 15 uh, in verse 3, Act 2. The church sent them, Paul and Barnabas, on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. <laughs> this made... All the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they had reported everything that had God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met to discuss the question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and belief. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither you nor we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent, and they listened to Paul and Barnabas tell about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. Acts chapter 15, verses 3 to 12. This is the messy middle, act two. It's when we get honest with ourselves and with one another about the disruption of act one and what it's all about. We don't have a lot of details about what the people were thinking or feeling in this discussion that they were having, but we do have two comments, one by the Pharisee who made his claim for circumcision and another little sermonette, you might say, by Peter. And they sandwich, I think, what is the most peculiar and interesting line in the whole text. After much discussion. Much discussion. I wonder when in that discussion they got clear about what this argument is really about somehow they came to the conclusion that this argument is not so much about Gentiles coming to faith or not. It says that they were all very glad that the Gentiles were coming to faith. It's not really about Gentiles at all. It's about who gets to make the rules. Who gets to decide who's in and who's out? Who belongs and who doesn't? Do those in power allow the other people in with all the baggage and as they are? Or... Do they have to turn and look like us to belong? Do they have to change before they can belong? Are the Pharisees in charge of the boundaries, or is Jesus in charge of the boundaries? The messy middle is when we get honest with ourselves about reality and authority. What motivates us, and who do we follow? Jim Collins uh, wrote a famous book uh, on business leadership called Good to Great, in which he kind of spells out some things that make businesses be not just good, but great, especially in the face of disruptions. In this book, he shares the story of a person that you may not may know or may not know. Uh, his name is Admiral Jim Stocksdale. He was the highest-ranking officer in the Vietnam War to ever be put in a prisoner of war camp. He endured a prisoner of war camp with all of the torture and interrogation and the, the, the lack of rules for anybody in there uh, for eight years. Jim Collins what, what was curious about what made him have such courage to make it through for eight full years. And so he asked Admiral Stocksdale, how did you survive those eight years? Admiral Stocksdale said, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never lost faith in the end of the story. That's, That's a great line for Christians, isn't it? But he continued, I never doubted that not only would I get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event in my life which, in retrospect, I would not trade. Wow, that's a pretty bold claim, and, and maybe kind of rubs me a little bit as almost arrogant and certainly confident and, and very optimistic, you might say, which makes the next line uh, after, uh, that Jim, uh, after Jim Collins asked him another question even more surprising. Jim Collins asked him in follow-up, who didn't make it out? Admiral Stocksdale said, the optimist. The one that said, by Christmas, I'm going to be out. By Easter, I'm going to be out. By Thanksgiving, I'm going to be out. Only to be disappointed, tricking himself into believing that he had any control over the situation. Those men, Admiral Stocksdale said, died of a broken heart. But the most important thing I want you to hear, Admiral Stocksdale said to Jim Collins, was this never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end the very thing you can't afford to lose with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality no matter no matter whatever those might be let me repeat that again never confuse the faith that you will prevail in the end which you can't afford to lose with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever those might be. It became known as the Stocksdale Paradox. Never give up hope and never deceive yourself about your current reality. You need to hold on to both, hope and current reality, no matter how brutal it is. This is the messy middle. This is when we hold on to the hope that there could be and there will be an act three while also naming the reality and the pain and the suffering of act one. And Stocksdale's paradox is a remarkably Christian thing to do. It's what Jesus taught us to do. We hold on to hope in a God who is making all things new and one day we will experience that in its fullness while also acknowledging the reality that we live in a broken world, that we cannot escape the power of sin in our lives and in this world, and we will and do experience pain and suffering. We hold hope and reality simultaneously, not absent from one another. If we are to abandon our reality and just say that it's all about hope, And pretend like pain and frustration and hurt doesn't exist. We deceive ourselves. There's no praying away, obeying away, or thinking away our pain. But we also can't abandon hope and allow our current reality to have the final word. We are both a people of hope, Act Three Resolution Hope, and a people of Act One Pain why because jesus did once and for all on the cross this very thing and jesus does in the midst of the messiness of our lives jesus held on to the hope of god's purposes while also facing the reality of death and jesus promises to walk with us by not abandoning us in our pain and reminding us of his eternal purposes I saw this messy middle being played out actually this week on Tuesday night in the MLC meeting that Jeff alluded to earlier in the service. We as a leadership body met to discuss our current reality that we are living in. We also listened to you all in the listening session feedback and we processed what God might be saying to us in that. And then we took a 10-minute break A time of silence prayer invited everybody to spread out on the campus and listen to what God might be saying and came back and got honest about what we were hearing and even what we were feeling internally in the midst of this. But we also held on to hope and considered a path forward recognizing that God has been so faithful to Fellowship Church in the past and we believe that God will be faithful in the future and we are putting our hope and our trust in him. This is the task of the messy middle, getting honest with ourselves about our current reality and how it affects us internally while also holding on to the hope of Act 3, God's good future. What does it look like for you to hold on to both of those things at the same time? I'll give you one clue that Brene taught us or spurred us to consider, and that's to write it all down make a journal and consider what uh, are the the things that are rumbling around about your current reality and the hope that you have i'm sure you're really curious about how the story ended aren't you in the jerusalem council i mean what happened uh, after all this discussion and uh, the messy middle i'll tell you uh, james the p- president really of the council uh, stood up and offered a sermon and then at the very end of his sermon he concluded with this I think powerful phrase from verse nineteen. Therefore, I have reached the decision that we should not trouble those Gentiles who are turning to God, but we should write to them to abstain only from the things polluted by idols, and from fornication, and from whatever else may have been strangled, and from blood. After, not only after the messiness of the, the messy middle of Act two did the council come to the unanimous decision. Can you imagine that after such a divisive uh, uh, council meeting that they came to the unanimous decision to not trouble the Gentiles who are turning to God? Let the boundaries of our faith be kept by the, placed in the gracious and loving hands of Jesus. We are going to buck tradition. We are going to listen to the Spirit. We are going to take the courageous step and place our hope in Jesus Christ, not in the system of the the judiciary, system of the Jews had known for their entire life. Sometimes we, too, experience such resolution to the Act 1 disruptions of our lives. And then sometimes we don't. Maybe even likely you are living in the messy middle uh, uh, after the Act 1 disruption in your life right now. The good news of the gospel and what I'd like to end with is that Jesus entered into the messy middles of our lives. He's acknowledged the messiness of this world, the pain, the brokenness, the sin that we all experience on a daily basis, and he carried it on his shoulders, enduring the pain of the cross for you and on your behalf. He, there is no pain that you are experiencing that he has not first experienced. And he, through him, we can experience connection with God and hope that we will one day rise strong with him again. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.
0: As we respond this morning, I invite you to stand, and we're going to sing a song that speaks about um, offering God praise when we're still in that messy middle, uh, that tension of of not uh, ignoring the reality of our situation, but also not losing hope. Let's sing together.
3: whatever storm or messy middle you are going through, I pray that you might be able to hold on to the hope we have in Christ and also be able to name the reality of the pain you're going through. And as you go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. And all God's people said, amen. Go in peace.